Jesus would make for a bad president. You know, it's just hard to imagine Jesus wearing a God bless Rome t-shirt and proclaiming his campaign with stickers and buttons and a hundred million dollar campaign. However, Calling him Messiah or Lord in his day was like acclaiming him, unlikely as it is, as president. In that day, as emperor, as king. Scripture makes it so very clear. His politics aspired to something different from state power. In fact, Jesus was not interested in any particular human government at all. He was interested in his own kingdom and that alone. The king of kings, the Lord of lords, aspired to a power that came through the ultimate sacrifice of the cross. And in that sacrifice, in his humble service to us all, we see the greatest display of power the world has ever known. Amen. I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you know this Jesus? You see, we must welcome Jesus as he is, not as we want him to be. I want to show you today two amazing realities about who Jesus is as revealed through his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday. And these two amazing realities will help us rightly welcome Jesus in our hearts. You need to personally understand these two things about who Jesus is so that you personally, so that I individually can relate to Jesus, not as I want him to be, but as he in fact is and has revealed himself to be. Is it possible that all across the American church and the church worldwide, we worship these little Jesuses that we've made up Jesus like we want him to be, which, hear me, are nothing more than glorified, baptized idols straight from hell. First of all, Jesus revealed himself as he came into Jerusalem that day as the messianic sovereign. Hear me, Jesus is the long-awaited, prophetically foretold, sovereign king who saves. Make no mistake. Jesus is king. He rules today. In Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 7, you're going to have a list of scriptures up here. You can, you can flip to these if you'd like, but you better have quick fingers and nimble knuckles because you'll never keep up, up otherwise. You may just want to take these down, check it out later, and listen. Matthew 21, verses 1 through 7. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter, enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you are doing, just say, the Lord needs them and he will immediately let you take them. 
This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said from Zechariah 9, verse 9, Tell the people of Jerusalem, Look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Zechariah 9, verse 9, prophesied in 520 B.C. You see, even the mount of the Messiah was prophetically foretold. What sovereignty over all the details of Jesus' arrival. And notice, Jesus is the one in charge. Stacy, you said that a minute ago. As we enter into Holy Week today, as we start that journey from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday morning, the boss of every day and every second of every day was Jesus himself. More about that in a minute. But Jesus is the messianic sovereign. Even that little donkey's colt was prophesied. And catch this. Jesus sovereignly orchestrates all those details. He is the messianic sovereign. He is in control on Palm Sunday. Verse 6 of that, verse six or 7 of that same passage. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey... And the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt and he sat on it. We flip over to John 12 verses 13 and 19 and the story continues and it says that they took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. They shouted, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord, hail to the king of Israel. And when they shouted those words, they were quoting scripture, Psalm 118 verses 25 and 26, yet again, a prophecy fulfilled. Matthew's account says they shouted, Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna in the highest. The word Hosanna is Hebrew for salvation has come. The son of David is our salvation. The cry of the crowd was prophesied as well. Jesus found a young donkey, John continues, and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Then the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. Luke 19 continues, when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. And Jesus replied, If they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into song. You see, what the crowds were saying was exactly true. He is the messianic sovereign. He is the king of of Israel come to rescue his people but from their greatest enemy that is their own sin not the Romans like they thought and hoped and were anticipating
And the Jews, in that moment, on that Palm Sunday, all of Jerusalem totally missed the reality of what kind of king he was. They missed that he was the messianic sovereign come to save his people from their sins, not to save his people from Rome. They thought he was coming to oust the Romans from Israel's capital city. They missed the fact that this king purposefully rode a donkey as a sign that he came as the prince of peace, not to wage war against Rome. You know, Jesus would later tell Pilate, the representative of the entire Roman Empire, as he stood before this Roman guy, Pilate, he would say, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews, but now my kingdom is from another place. What was he saying to Pilate? He's saying, Pilate, look, I'm not here to overthrow your kingdom. I'm all about a kingdom. But it's my kingdom. And it's not a kingdom of this world. It's not a kingdom to replace another human government. It is an everlasting and eternal kingdom. And it's all about the redemption of God given to man. It's all about the grace of God poured out through a suffering and dying and three days later resurrected king. It's that kind of kingdom, Pilate. You see, his kingdom is not of this world because it refuses power. It pledges a different allegiance, and it lives love. In a world where truth has become smothered and rulers don't even know what it is anymore, do you live in that world, by the way? Does that sound familiar? Do you see in your life today, when you flip on the news, any similarity to the, to the, to the Rome of Jesus' day and the America of our day? If you don't, you're blind. Jesus embodies a truth in the middle of such a truth-blinded world that will set us free. Jesus would enter his people's story, their tears, their sweat, their hunger, and he would show them a way out that doesn't require the financial, military, and political power of kings and presidents and cabinets. And all God's people said, Hallelujah! There is such a king. Oh, make no mistake, Jesus will, Stacy, ride a white horse one day. And he'll wage war. But it won't be for any earthly power in defense of any nation, but in demonstration of his own glory, for the glory of his eternal kingdom. Revelation 19. Stacy just read it, but I want to read it again. You just need to hear and see, get the picture. Then I saw heaven open, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. 
The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe, at his thigh, was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Do you know who King Jesus is, is concerned about? Do you know whose kingdom he, he supports and stands with? His own. For he alone is worthy. Kingdoms will come and go. The Roman Empire was the greatest thing the world had ever known. Where is it today? It's nothing but ruins and dust. You and I live in the world's greatest superpower. Where will it be a hundred years from now? I don't know. But you can know this, one day it will be in the ruins and dust. And only the king of kings and the kingdom of Christ will endure. But for now, Jesus comes as the messianic sovereign who brings peace with God through his sacrifice for the sins of the world. And again, understand who's in charge during Holy Week. Understand who was in charge of the last seven days of Jesus, uh, five days of Jesus' life before he died on the cross on Good Friday. Understand who was in charge all the way through till Sunday in the resurrection. Jesus himself in John 10 told us, he said, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. And if you take the time this week to read in the Gospels through those final days, beginning on Palm Sunday, and begin to read through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, there's something there each day, even on Saturday when Jesus is in the grave, and then on Sunday, if you read through the gospel accounts, what, what will become clear, what will shout off the pages of, of God's word to you is that Jesus is in charge of it all. They tried to trap him. They couldn't trap him. They asked him questions. He turned their questions around on them. Why? Because he was afraid to answer the questions? No, but because he, because he was indicting them and because he was in charge of the weak and he would die exactly when he was destined, and when he himself decided to die on the cross. No one took his life. He laid it down. And three days later, after he laid it down, he took it up again. And we'll celebrate that big next Sunday morning. But you know, the people there that day, Palm Sunday, they had all the right words. God in his sovereignty had them singing the right songs, but they didn't get it. They missed it. They really thought he was going to lead a revolt and overthrow some political power. They wanted to be free from Gentile oppression, even if by force, even if by threats and plagues and a split sea, as they recounted so well in their history and thought back to the Exodus, they wanted another Exodus. One that expelled the Romans. Instead, what they got by Friday morning was a bloodied has-been, a man in Roman custody, rejected by their own leaders, standing next to an infamous criminal called Barabbas. They wanted an incomparable king, but they would see a beaten blasphemer. Or so they thought. 
the sounds of this, this Sunday, this Palm Sunday, would later be betrayed by the sounds of their stony hearts. Blessed is he would soon become, crucify him. And for this reason, there's something nauseating about today. For even though their words were appropriate, they really didn't believe that he was the messianic sovereign that their hearts needed most. And they would, in just a few days, reject the one they had held as their king instead of embracing him as their only salvation. And they would say, give us Barabbas. Crucify Jesus. In John 1, verse 11, we're told he came to his own people and even they rejected him. What about you? What about me this morning? Do you know this Jesus? Is his name just on our lips casually and because it's the thing to do around the church? Because it's the thing to do on D-Now weekend. While our hearts are really far from him? Or do you, do I truly believe Jesus Christ is today the messianic sovereign who has brought us our only hope for salvation from our sins and peace with God through his life, death, and resurrection? You know, one day there's going to be a genuine Palm Sunday. Revelation 7 Verses 9 and 10. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Will you be there? Are you right now surrendered to Jesus Christ, the King of salvation? You see, we must welcome Jesus as he is, not as we want him to be. Jesus is the messianic sovereign come to save his people from their sins. But secondly, I want you to see this morning, Jesus is the merciful Savior. In Luke chapter 19, picking it up in verse 41, we see this reality. Jesus weeps for those who reject him. And he longs for all to embrace his mercy. It says in Luke 19, 41, but as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that all of you people would understand the way to peace, but now it is too late. And peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not accept your opportunity for salvation. The word for weep there in verse 41 it means weeping out loud. It means heaving with sorrow. It, 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 it describes tears of, of agony. As Jesus got close to Jerusalem and he saw the city that represented his own people, Israel, this, understand, is no sophisticated shedding of, of a couple tears that just a little 
nice dainty cloth or wipe away. No, this is an uncontrollable wailing as the heart of Jesus is poured out in mercy. And he reveals himself to be the merciful Savior. And all of that wailing and weeping that came from the heart of Jesus is because the heart of God breaks when people reject his love and mercy and grace given through his Son. In that moment, when the multitude is shouting his praises, his heart is breaking over the woes of the city that he knew would slay him. You know, only in one other place are we told that Jesus wept. It's in John 11, verse 35, and it has to do with the death of Lazarus. It's because of how people all around Lazarus, close friends of Jesus also, no doubt, were affected by his death. Jesus' heart weeping over human sorrow. Why does Jesus weep and lament for this city, for Jerusalem that day, that Palm Sunday? God had sent them the prophets. And now he was sending them his only begotten son. Even though the right words were on their mouth, they didn't understand God's word of judgment because of their pride and unbelief. Its inhabitants did not recognize God's visitation in his son Jesus. Jesus' entrance was a gracious visitation. Jerusalem's lack of faith, however, led to its destruction. Jesus' death and resurrection would bring about a a new temple in the Holy Spirit, the church, as the bride of Christ and the people of God. But the old temple would be destroyed because of the rebellion of Israel. Do you recognize God's visitation today? Do you see Jesus? Do you know him as the merciful Savior that he is? Jesus, even as he spoke these words and cried these tears, he knew of the brutal slaughter of tens of thousands of Jews in Jerusalem by the Romans that would occur under General Titus in A.D. 70, and his heart was full of mercy that gave way to sorrow because the nation of Israel chose to reject him and would have to suffer the judgment of God. That's the heartbreak of God right there. You see, there's no way in the world you can view God as being indifferent to those who perish. The Old Testament says he finds no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He finds grief in the death of the wicked. Israel's, it was an accumulated guilt. But God was still heartbroken. While God is righteous and holy, And therefore, angry about sin, he's at the same time perfectly compassionate. His compassion is as perfect as his justice. His tender-heartedness is equal to his anger. Psalm 86, verse 15 says, But thou, O Lord, Lord, Lord God, are merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness. What a precious merciful Savior we have. And I love what it says in Lamentations 3, verse 22. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease, for His compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. 
Jesus had earlier expressed his merciful heart for Jerusalem. In Luke 13, 34, Oh, Jerusalem! Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. What a tender and merciful Savior. But, hear me, each one of us has a choice to make. Theirs was not an incurable ignorance. But the cure is repentance, not education. They didn't need to know any more about Jesus. They needed to turn from their sin and embrace Jesus, not as who they wanted him to be, but who he had revealed himself to be in truth, the messianic sovereign and the merciful Savior. And yet, Jerusalem... The nation of Israel as a whole refused to repent and embrace Jesus as Savior. John MacArthur says people who perish, perish because they don't want to trust Jesus and live. Jesus wept because of this unwillingness to believe. It grieved his heart. And hear me, church, it should grieve ours as well. Do you trust Jesus as your Savior today, first of all? If not, based on the authority of God's word, he, his heart weeps for you. He's full of love and mercy. He came and gave his life on the cross so you could know mercy. His heart weeps for the hardness of the human heart, for the foolishness of the human heart, for the pride of the human heart that would say, no thanks, don't need any help. From you, Jesus, I got this. I'll make my own way. I'm doing just fine without a Savior. His heart breaks. You know, if you're one of Jesus' sheep this morning, let me ask you a question. Does your heart, does my heart weep with the same mercy for those who don't yet know our merciful Savior? Does it? Does your heart weep? Do you wail over those that you know, those that are in your family, who are this morning without God and without hope in this world and therefore destined right this moment still to a devil's hell? Does your heart Stacy said it earlier. Church, if, if our hearts don't feel that way, we got a problem. We as those who call ourselves little Christ, Christians, followers of the crucified, buried, and risen Savior, Jesus, if we don't look anything like him in relation to those who yet need him, we got a problem. You know, if, 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 if your compassion for the lost doesn't motivate you to pray, and as a whole together church won't motivate you to come together the first Sunday night of every month, one of the main things we do when we do that is pray for the lost, then we got a problem.
One last verse to remind us just how big Jesus' heart is with mercy. As he hangs there mutilated and dying on the cross, only minutes from his final breath, he says in Luke 23, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Even there on the cross, mercy for those who are crucifying him fills the heart of our merciful Savior. Oh, Jesus is such a tender Savior. But his mercy moved him to deny himself and go to the cross to meet our greatest need by paying for our sin. That means there's hope and mercy and forgiveness for me and you. No matter what we've done, No matter how far we've strayed, there's grace for that today for you and for me. Romans 5 verse 8 puts it this way, but God demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, we must welcome Jesus as he is not as we want him to be. He is the messianic sovereign. He is a merciful Savior. You know, this Palm Sunday today, this day, the one you're in right now, the one you're living as I speak, this Palm Sunday, it doesn't have to be for us like the first one was for the crowds. Their praise, it was hollow and it was hypocritical. And they soon betrayed their king and called for his torturous death. Didn't have to be that way for me. Didn't have to be that way for you. We must welcome Jesus as he is, not as we want him to be. And the proof of what today is in your heart will be seen in your life in the days ahead this week. Amen? Teenagers, the email's over. Show Jesus tomorrow what you told him last night. Show Jesus Thursday of this week that he's the messianic sovereign in your life, that he is your merciful savior by the decisions you make Thursday afternoon and Saturday morning and late Saturday night and next Sunday and every day of our lives. You and I can sincerely and humbly bow our hearts and surrender to Jesus and the mess, as the messianic sovereign that he is, taking his salvation and giving him control of our lives. You and I can embrace Jesus as our merciful Savior and we can spread his mercy to our world, weeping for those who reject him and pleading with them as we deny ourselves and make sacrifices to tell them of our merciful Savior who loved them to death that they might be forgiven and live, and live forever with him. You see, the heart of every person must welcome Jesus as he is, not as we want him to be if a person is to truly and personally know God's mercy and salvation. Do you know him today? You can. There's, there's no reason wait you can trust him for who he is today and church will you 
live your life under his sovereignty, in his mercy, being compelled by both his sovereignty and his mercy to go and tell a world who desperately needs to meet our Jesus. Let's pray together.